the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It's remarkable when you look at the statistics, the reports coming from teachers about the differences between fundamental problems in education in 1950 versus today. For example, in a survey offered to teachers back in 1950, some of the primary concerns included things like children running in the hallways, gum chewing in the classroom, and failure to turn in their homework on time. (laughs) Fast forward a few decades and things have changed in education quite drastically. Now teachers report concerns over things like gun violence in schools, gang fighting, and truancy. Failure to even show up for class. Added to that list within the public school systems today in virtually any community across California or the nation are other concerns. Inadequate spending, imbalanced student-teacher ratios, just not enough teachers per student to get adequate attention, a decline in school safety, failure of the common core curricula, violence, and the other thing teachers report, parents not being involved. Well, if you're frustrated as a parent as to how your student is performing in public school, and maybe you've wrestled with the idea of looking at options such as homeschooling or private or parochial education, then we've got a very interesting program that you won't want to miss a moment of. Joining me now in studio is our station general manager, Segar Cannon. And Segar, I appreciate you taking some time to be with us today to share with our listeners this amazing program that the station started about 10 years ago that helps parents who are equally frustrated by many of the very issues I've just talked about see the inadequacy of public education and they wonder what options are available to me. Toward that end, give us a brief overview, if you would, of our station's half-off tuition program. Greg, I'm glad to be here today and thank you for involving me in this program. And as a parent myself, I've raised five different kids and we were very, very uh, diligent and very vigilant about our our children getting a faith-based education and learning about the Christian worldview. And we are so glad that we made that decision and now our kids are grown up and one of them is a professor uh, at uh, Washington State as an English literature and another one is uh, as a master's and the third one is going for a bachelor's. So, um, this is what the foundation has given them to go by. Not only what you talked about, uh, the quality of education they're getting and the ratio, uh, public school versus private school, and the, the worldview, uh, worldview they're getting to give them a compass uh, for their life as a foundation. Uh, there are so many benefits in it. But let me circle back to your question about the half-price tuition 
and that we are offering. We see the benefit of private school, a Christian-based education with a Christian worldview, and also the quality of education and the social aspect and the culture and the children are involved in. And the teachers, quality teachers that also care for them you know, individually. I'm not saying that public school teachers are not good. I mean, there are a lot of great public school teachers who care about the student, but the ratio doesn't allow them to give quality time. Well, and that's just it. We often hear that they are overworked, underpaid. They're trying to instruct a classroom of 25, 35 students. So the ability to give the kind of individualized attention that students might need, I mean, it's, I think, unrealistic to expect every child to learn and perform at the exact same pace. So if one child needs a little bit more attention, sadly, oftentimes in the public school environment, it's just simply not possible for the teacher to give that kind of extra attention. Moreover, as you point out, the ability to have a child who is raised with a set of values in the home, a set of values at church, and then goes to a public school and comes back with ideas that are completely contrarian to the kind of moral foundation the parents have tried to lay in that child's life, I know for many parents can be frustrating to even shocking, particularly in the environment today in the states like California, where we're dealing with issues related to transgenderism and the core curricula on many levels is, is failing our students. So then when a parent says, enough is enough, we need to make a change. They begin to ponder the possibility of private or parochial education, but oftentimes reach a barrier. And that barrier is, gee, we've got two or three children in our household, and I'm looking at the cost of tuition, and it just seems to be beyond the pale of what our budget can handle, particularly in these inflationary times. Give us a quick snapshot. We're going to spend some time talking about the benefits, but take a moment, if you would, Sagar. Give us a bit of a snapshot as to how this very special half-off tuition program works that affords every parent the opportunity to give their children a real, solid educational foundation. Well, what really helps us is we partner with the area private schools, and there are some fantastic private schools, especially Christian private schools. We reach out to them, and we partner with them. We help them in their marketing, and in return, what they do is they will give us the certificate or voucher that we can give to the parents who have a child who need to go to a certain school within their neighborhood and whatever grade that is, and we have vouchers for 50% off what they would normally pay. Well, now, wait a minute. Let me pause you right there because listeners may be just half listening saying, wait a minute, did he just say 50% off? half off the regular tuition rate? Exactly. That's what our program is titled, Half Off Tuition Program. We want to help the community and the parents, and we can understand and empathize what the cost will be like for private schools. Me having have to raise five kids of my own, and this program, we have enhanced it, and have been, you know, giving it to the community as an opportunity Uh, to take advantage and help their children to get a great quality education with half off. Now, I understand that there are schools throughout the Bay Area that are participating, and listeners can go to halfofftuitions.com to get more details as to how the program works and which schools are available. Again, that's at halfofftuitions.com, halfofftuitions.com. And I would imagine yourself, as a parent, looking at the challenges that we've delineated in our conversation so far today, the notion of being able to find a child an opportunity to start school 
a reasonable entrance at half off the regular tuition rate. I understand it has to be for a first-time student, first year. But oftentimes, this can be the make and break for a student. In other words, if they've struggled before, the parents are not only dissatisfied with the caliber and quality of education, but also dissatisfied with the environment, the learning environment overall. This can really be an incredible, life-changing experience for these young people. Exactly right. I have had parents who have reached out midway, like their children might be, you know, not in first grade or in K. There are some, but quite a few number of them, you know, that they are in a sixth grade or even in middle school or high school and reach out. And because of the environment is so bad, the violence and all those things you mentioned before, they were looking to put them in a private school where it's a safe environment you know, with a strong sense of community and quality teaching and one-on-one time. So uh, there are a few parents that who have taken advantage of our half-off tuition because they want their children to be in a better place where they can have quality education. Let's talk about some of the differences uh, that private education makes. I mean, for example, one of the things that seems to be frustrating to many parents is they feel as if they're, they're kind of blocked out of the process, meaning that they don't feel welcome even though it's their child, they're ultimately responsible, and yet any sense of the parent being able to be actively involved, participating in their child's education is something that they, they just feel as if they're not welcome. Yep, that is true. But with private schools, you know, it's it's different. Parents often find themselves having a much more distinct voice in the private school system compared to public. Parents and administration typically experience an open channel of communications with regular parent-teacher contact, welcome parent involvement, participation in social events, and fundraising campaigns, and more. Now, that leads me to another question, and that is parents being involved is just one part of the process. Another complaint oftentimes we hear from parents is the kind of learning environment that their student is exposed to. And this goes, I think, the gambit of not only whether or not the the atmosphere is encouraging to one's underlying faith, but also the kind of environment where students feel safe and they don't feel as if they have to be uh, uh, defending their faith. Yep. Well, private schools as safe learning environment. As long as I've been doing this program, uh, Craig, I've yet to get one complaint about that safety in the environment. Families love the fact that private schools offer a safe learning environment with a culture that plays emphasis on personal responsibility and ethics. The lower staff-to-student ratio allows for more observation and intervention in case of a conflict. So there's engagement, and there's also a way to deal with issues as they're just beginning to appear, as opposed to waiting until they've festered and gotten way out of hand. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that's important, too, I think, to believers, and that is a sense of community, a sense of belonging. Um, The body of Christ is very important. And frequently, parents that have students in public schools feel as if there's a Disconnect. There's a lack of partnership and a lack of community. Yep. According to a recent study conducted by the Fraser Institute, 72% of private school parents strongly agreed with the statement that their school was safe, a factor that they said improved both the quality of their child's educational experience as well as their ability to achieve. Now, we talked earlier about this notion of student-teacher ratios. This has been an issue that public schools have fought for years. It's just, quite frankly, for a dollars and cents perspective, easier 
just add 10 more kids into the classroom as opposed to having to create another classroom and hire another teacher. So oftentimes for public schools, it's a matter of economics. But in the process, sadly, that lack of individualized attention, because there are so many students crammed into one classroom, means the children really suffer. That is right. Private schools are typically smaller than public school, leading to smaller average class sizes. This dynamic benefits students in many different ways. You will often feel more comfortable sharing your opinion or venturing a guest answer in a smaller, more intimate setting. Students and teachers are able to form closer relationships in a small classroom. This helps the teacher know each student better, enabling them to tailor their teaching styles accordingly based upon the pace of the student. They will know your student's strengths and weaknesses and be able to offer more specific help when needed as needed. Now, smaller classroom size, does that necessarily then translate into smaller schools? And if so, what about a concern that parents might have in regards to their students' involvement in extracurricular activities? I mean, I remember as a young man being involved in projects like a high school band or in athletics programs, things of this sort, that help provide a child a very rounded education. Does that suffer at all in the private arena? Oh, no, not at all. It's even better. At a private school, there are typically more co-curricular options, and due to the smaller school size, less competition to participate. This gives more students the opportunity to join sports team, participate in the school musical, play in the orchestra, or have a voice in debate club. These extracurricular opportunities allow your student to develop new interests, learn valuable skills, and delve into a community or a team that will become a vital part of their school experience. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, so in addition to issues like the environment, individualized attention, uh, certainly extracurriculars as we've just discussed, undoubtedly for most parents, job number one, academic standards. We've often heard the stories that students will walk across the stage on graduation day, be handed their graduation diploma, and be incapable of actually reading it. Now, I understand that's a bit of an exaggeration, but not by much. Give us your perspective, Sagar, in terms of what do the academic standards look like in private education versus public? Well, statistics back up the fact that private schools challenge students to meet a higher academic standard. According to the National Center for Education Statistics, private high schools list more vigorous graduation requirements than their public school counterparts, requiring more coursework to be completed. The result is a graduating student body that performs better on tests, has a higher level of written, verbal, and mathematic ability, and has a more impressive school matriculation. One thing that we often hear is that the child that matriculates through a private school going on to a two-year or four-year college or university, there's a significantly higher number of students that place into that higher-level learning. And typically, I understand, their performance even on things like the SAT, the entrance scores, are higher. Yes, students typically score 60 to 70 points above average on the SAT. Students from typical private schools have gone to attend the top colleges and universities in the nation. 
Well, that certainly is exciting news, and I know will be very encouraging to every parent listening right now. And if you've tuned in a bit late, we're in studio with our general manager, Sagar Cannon. We're talking about this very special back-to-school program that we here at the station have operated for well over a decade now, affording parents, listeners like you, the opportunity to send your child to a first-year private school at half the regular tuition rate. Now, there are certainly some standards that need to be met. In other words, what Whatever the local school's academic requirements are in order to qualify for an entrance to a private school, they all remain the same. And you'll find details again on our website at halfofftuitions.com. That's halfofftuitions.com. There you'll also discover an interactive map that will show all of the participating schools around the greater San Francisco Bay Area. If, by the way, there happens to be a school very near your home that you don't see is there, feel free to contact us and we'll be happy to talk to that school to see if we can open up an opportunity for your student to have a chance to go to that school first year at half off the regular tuition rate. Again, go to halfofftuitions.com or easier still, call us toll free at 800-947-5329. That's 800-947-5329 or online at halfofftuitions.com. Sagar, there's another important point that really is foundational to even the entirety of our conversation today about private school, and that is simply this. While parents are undoubtedly concerned about the kind of socialization their student is involved with, the kind of extracurricular activities, as we discussed, to be sure, academic standards, very important. But the one thing I hear repeated from parents, and that is, for them, first and foremost, they don't want to have a school elastic environment that competes with the values that they're raising their child with at home or at church. Talk to us about the sense of how these schools operate in relationship to what I'll call a values-centric education. Well, all the private schools we partner with are very Christ-centered and values-oriented education. Christian education provides a biblical foundation for every child with spiritual and moral formation at the forefront of everything. These schools focus on developing a caring community where students, faculty, and staff encourage one another in both the good and the difficult seasons of life. At an age where children discover their identity, a Christian school can help facilitate the shaping of their character by blending wisdom and knowledge in the curriculum. Some of a Christian school's fundamental beliefs include learning about character development, morals and ethics in light of the gospel. Christian schools integrate service opportunities into coursework and spiritual development opportunities. Wow, that's great because, you know, in the end, when we talk about education, it's not just preparing a child academically for a career, but training them up morally and in terms of character for a life. So toward that end, the difference that is available to parents in the private or parochial education environment is vastly contrasted against public education, where oftentimes not only is there inferior performance at the academic level for students, but then some of the issues we've addressed in our conversation today, be it violence in the classroom, opposing moral viewpoints, whatever these matters might be of concern to parents, uh, you're just going to find a very 
very different atmosphere and one that will afford your son or daughter a real opportunity at the kind of firm foundation they need to be successful in business, their chosen career, and ultimately to be successful in life. Let's spend a moment as we conclude our conversation reviewing for the benefit of listeners exactly how the half-off tuition program works. All the parent has to do is go to the website, that's halfoftuition.com, and if there is a school they are interested in, in what grade it is, they contact us, we'll contact the school, and then the school will contact them, and then they only pay half off after they qualify, after their children qualify to be enrolled in the school. Simple as that, just three steps. So long as they meet the entrance requirements, yes. individual to every school, every and again, school. you'll find complete details by going to halfofftuitions.com. Once they are accepted, and I want to mention that these vouchers are on a first-come, first-served basis, so there should be a sense of urgency because oftentimes a school will offer half a dozen or so, whatever that number might look like. Once those vouchers have all been claimed, then that that's it. That's it. Yeah, so we have a limited number of vouchers. The faster you move, the better. And it's not unusual, I would imagine, too, for example, for grandparents to say, you know, I know it might be a bit of a challenge economically for my son or daughter, but we care enough about our grandkids that we want to give this gift of education. So toward that end, can a grandparent purchase one of these vouchers for a grandchild? Well, anybody can purchase this voucher. For any one of them who qualifies based upon the school requirement, and they can go into our website and look at all the qualification. If they have any question, they can either email us or call us. And again, I want to mention that this is for first-time enrollment, so if yes. a student is already enrolled, they don't qualify for the program. This is only good for the first year of tuition. Yes. And that raises a question. Some parents listening think, well, you know, if I go in and take advantage of the voucher for the first year, what happens the second year? Do you find cases where parents manage to find a way when they see the difference that private education is making? Exactly. That's the whole idea. If it is up to us, we'll be happy to just give you for the lifelong of the child. But the school also needs to operate, and they also have certain expenses. So both the school and us, we agree that the first year will make a lot of difference. And the parents will see the difference that makes in their children. We'll find a way to just help them continue their education throughout. And, uh, you know, ultimately, this kind of a foundation, uh, an educational foundation, ultimately becomes a gift of a lifetime for a child. So let's urge you to get more information by going to halfofftuitions.com. That's halfofftuitions.com. There you'll find complete details as to how the Half Off Tuitions program works. You'll also see a list of schools that are offering vouchers throughout the San Francisco Bay Area. And don't be bashful. If there's a school nearby your home that isn't listed, drop us a note. We'll be happy to contact them and see if we can't invite them to participate in the Half-Off Tuitions program. Again, online at halfofftuitions.com. That's halfofftuitions.com. Or call toll-free 800-947-5329. That's 800-947-5329. You've helped administer this program program for many, many years, both here and in another state. Um, I'm curious, from your perspective, Segar, when you get a phone call from a parent and their child has just finished, say, their first semester, 
What's the typical reaction? What kind of reports are you hearing back from the parents as to the difference this program is making in the life of their child? Well, I've had a lot of stories and testimonies from parents, but, you know, to generalize it, you know, usually they are so grateful and thankful for us to have such a program that was affordable for them to send their child and at the end to see the difference it has made in their children, not only academically, but also in their character and overwhelmingly in their walk with the Lord. And all that combined with their social life as well has changed because in public school it's very different compared yeah, to the public undoubtedly school. Undoubtedly so. And that life balance between the academic, the social, and ultimately the spiritual is so critically important, undoubtedly, to each of you listening right now. Maybe you frequently thought about the difference that a private education might mean for your son or daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter. But the economics seem to be a bit challenging. Here's an opportunity to enroll your child for the first time at half off the regular tuition price, therefore aptly named the Half Off Tuition Program. You can get more details online at halfofftuitions.com. That's halfofftuitions.com. And again, more information related to exactly how the program works, all the schools that are currently participating. And at the end of the day, I think, Sagar, this is something where, as I suggested before, for a parent enrolling their child in a private school, this is not just a gift of education. It is literally the gift of a lifetime. It's a beginning step for them. It makes a huge difference for them. You know, it will just lay a roadmap for them for the rest of their life. Your child has one opportunity and one opportunity only to get a healthy educational start at life. Give them the best chance they've got. Go online and get more information today. Go to halfofftuitions.com. That's halfofftuitions.com. Or alternately, you can call with questions toll free at 800 947 5329. That's 800 947 5329. Or once again at halfofftuitions.com. I'd like to thank my guest, our general manager, Sagar Ken. And Sagar, thank you for coming in and, and sharing this program with our listeners. I can't wait to hear the report six months to a year from now from parents who have listened today, went online, got the information, purchased the voucher, and then hear the exciting news of the difference that they've already seen in just one year in their own child's life. Thank you very much for this opportunity, Craig. I really appreciate it. Our goal is to impact one life at a time, one community at a time. So I'm glad this will be available to more people than we have been able to touch. And remember, it's first come, first serve, so don't delay. Get more information today. Go to halfofftuitions.com. That's halfofftuitions.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We've often, I think, on the topic of taxes as Americans, drawn the conclusion that historically it was things like the Boston Tea Party and the sense of taxation without representation that spurred the American Revolution and brought America to where she is today. My next guest, though, will suggest, mm, not quite true. Played a role, to be sure. But in fact, instead of the revolution sparking by, uh, sparked by high taxes, it would instead be 
outrage against British attempts to suppress God-given, those so-called inalienable rights that we see articulated in the Constitution that we have today. Some insights now as we're joined by the director of the Center for Military and Veteran Studies at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina. He's also the author of 16 best-selling books. His latest is entitled By the Hand of Providence, How Faith Shaped the American Revolution. And Rod Gregg, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thank you. Glad to be here. What headed you down this trajectory? I mean, obviously, you spent a lot of your life in the arena of, of looking at the Battle of Gettysburg in one of your books. You, you, you've been very much focused on the founding of our nation and, and the roots that we have. And, and I think, to be sure, most of us, certainly people listening to a program like this, see the faith-based roots of our nation. But to take it a step further now and, and suggest that as much as we've typically understood the American Revolution to be sparked by taxation without representation, actually coming down to something a lot more valuable, quite frankly. Uh, this, this, I think, is some new news for folks. Well, I think it's, uh, it's an old story that needs to be re- retold because it's been uh, neglected in our day and has been uh, largely forgotten uh, by, uh, by our nation. But it it's really uh, goes to the heart of who we are and, and what we became as a nation. And the American Revolution was a faith-based revolution because Americans were a faith-based people, and that faith was a biblical one. So the things that you mentioned, uh, taxation, uh, lack of representation in Parliament, uh, events that uh, were somewhat of a catalyst like the Boston Tea Party, other protests, all those things were uh, had a role, and all of them uh, were kind of a dominoes falling. But uh, they were symptomatic of something deeper, and that is that the American people, is, as you put it well, um, the American people were, were biblical. The colonial American people and the Americans at the time of the Revolution were uh, biblically literate. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody was devout. You had the, the devout, you had the nominal, you had the uninterested. But the, the American thought at the time was uh, firmly founded on the Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, the culture was um, predominantly Protestant. It was overwhelmingly Christian, and it was almost universally Judeo-Christian in its approach. And that was the foundation of American culture, law, and government. So when these events occurred, these controversial events, over a period of time, increasing numbers of uh, Americans came to, to view King George III and Parliament as attempting to usurp the higher law of God and to uh, force the law of man instead. They saw them as uh, usurping uh, what they called inalienable or God-given rights, rights to life, to liberty, to what they called the, uh, the freedom to pursue happiness. And they came to view, eventually, uh, in great numbers, uh, King George III as a tyrant. That's why uh, American troops marched off to war in the Revolution under battle flags adorned with the ba- with the slogan that said, uh, "Resistance to tyrants is obedience to God." You you take the title of your new book by the hand of providence um, uh, from a quote from George Washington. 
Um, and I think as we think of him as, uh, you know, one of the key founding fathers, uh, uh, the first president of the United States, although was somebody in there actually for a couple of days or something, I forget all the details on that, but, but, but widely recognized as the first president of the United States, uh, as we see the role that he played, Valley Forge, all the way through the list, give us some insights in terms of this man in particular and the, the role that his faith played in taking the risks that he did in the founding of our nation. Well, and some people have made the, the case, uh, I think kind of a weak one, the case uh, in recent uh, years that the presidents of the Continental Congress uh, in those days before the Constitution, during the, the time of the Articles of Confederation, were in a sense presidents, but they were not president of the United States. Uh, Washington was the first it's it's really you really cannot overemphasize the influence of George Washington. Now, uh, the American Revolution was really taken forward by the American people. They're often overlooked, and the leaders reflected the worldview, the faith of the American people. So you had the American people, you had their leaders in the Continental Congress, and then you had uh, George Washington, who was really heads above all others. Um, and he was greatly influential in inspiring his officers and troops to stay in this uh, this movement, to stay in this revolution. And he also inspired the American people. And it wasn't because he was a good general, and he became a good general. He became a great strategist, a good tactician, but he grew into that. What inspired the American people about Washington was his character. And that character was based on his personal faith, and that faith was clearly biblical. And that faith. Talk, talk to me about your research in terms of the influence on that faith, on the decisions and the risks that he took personally um, in the American Revolution. Well, Washington was um, a, a low-church Anglican uh, who was uh, very serious about his faith. He was quiet about his faith. He wasn't the kind of man who would sit around, like Sam Adams, for instance, and, 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 and uh, engage or lead a dinnertime theological discussion. Uh, he was a low church Anglican. He was. Uh, he didn't speak in uh, the vernacular of a 21st century evangelical. Although his doctrine, uh, personal doctrine that he believed as a as an Anglican, was certainly uh, uh, in in that category of being a historic evangelical um, Orthodox Christian doctrine. He was certainly not a deist, as some have claimed. Uh, there were very few deists actually involved among uh, the American people and, and among the founders, their leaders. Uh, the um, the historian, there was a historian uh, in the 20th century, Perry Miller, who spent his life studying the colonial era. He really was a great expert on American colonial uh, life in the colonial era. He described it well. He said that deism was what he called an exotic plant that never took root in America because of the overwhelming influence of the biblical worldview that Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, so a deist was one who, who believed in an impersonal God, almost like a force, uh, a force-type creator who uh, launched and jump-started his creation and walked away from it. That's not the God that George Washington believed in. And uh, he was consistent in both his private writings, which were voluminous, and also in his, uh, his public statements, which were many, and consistent in expressing uh, that uh, faith, which was clearly, without question, a biblical faith. 
And so in, uh, in, in Washington's uh, decision-making uh, and the things he did, the things he didn't do, really governed by this. You look, for instance, um, he stands in real contrast to some of the leadership demonstrated by British commanders uh, who went into areas sometimes, uh, particularly in the South, where um, uh, they could have probably, had they handled the war right, could probably have... Uh, Americans were all reluct generally reluctant revolutionaries, and the British in some areas could have uh, kindled a, a great deal of support. But their behavior, their conduct, uh, really alienated people, and it made uh, Americans in droves go over to the side of the patriot movement. Well, Washington was contrast to that in the way that he treated his enemies, the way he treated loyalist civilians. He made sure that they were not taken advantage of. He made sure that they weren't robbed and plundered like the British did. There was a real discipline there. He also uh, 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 routinely observed victories by holding worship services. Uh, he encouraged his troops to observe the national days of prayer that the Continental Congress called, and there were many of them during the Revolution. Uh, he, at one time, uh, urged his troops to conduct themselves, in his words, uh, at, in, with their behavior as becoming a Christian soldier. Uh, he made sure that uh, the army was equipped with chaplains. He took that very seriously and encouraged his men to uh, to pick chaplains who were strong in their faith. Uh, so you see consistently through Washington's words and his behavior this character, and this character was reflection of his personal faith. If you've just joined our conversation tonight, Rod Gregg is with us. He, of course, is the director of the Center for Military and Veteran Studies at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina. A new book entitled By the Hand of Providence, How Faith Shaped the American Revolution. We'll come back to more of our look at the role of faith in the founding of our nation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We have been investigating the faith-centered foundation of the American resistance as found inside the pages of this new book, By the Hand of Providence. By the way, for you homeschooling parents out there in particular, I mean, the book is great for anybody, but homeschooling parents, you're looking for a great book that can be a wonderful teaching tool. Uh, you're going to want to go out and pick up a copy of this. Howard is the publisher available to bookstores throughout the Bay Area. Those one or two still exist, am I right? I'm just checking. And, of course, through Amazon.com. Its author is with us tonight, Rod Gregg. Rod is the director of the Center for Military and Veteran Studies at Coastal Carolina University in South Carolina. By the way, a number of phenomenal books that he has penned down through the years, over 16 of them now all told, on topics of the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, Civil War, on and on the list goes. So check out anything uh, written by Rod. Again, G-R-A-G-G, if you're going to Google his last name. Rod, it's curious. We talk about the notion oftentimes that, that some will report um, a number of the founding fathers as having been deists. I, I find it curious because if we look at the actions of these men and the great risk that they took, the personal sacrifice, it, it would seem to me that it would take an individual of greater character um, and, and, and a sense of, of higher calling than just somebody who casually acknowledge the existence of deity out there. It seems to me that most of the actions of these men in the founding days of this nation were people that were willing to sacrifice for a greater good because they knew the God that they served. Well, that's exactly right. You have to remember when we talk about uh, the founding fathers, the leaders of the American people in the colonial era at the time of the American Revolution, 
that um, they reflected also the worldview of the American people, or they wouldn't have been holding office. And the worldview of the American people, without question at that time, was a faith-based. It was the Judeo-Christian worldview. And it's no accident that the Declaration of Independence uh, begins with what it calls a uh, self-evident truth that all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, namely life, liberty, and, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, the Declaration of Independence had to be acceptable to the American people who are going to live with it and in many cases going to die for it. And the signers knew that, and they knew they had to have biblical justification for something as big as a, an independence movement or a revolution. And so that's why the Declaration of Independence is laced with the language of faith. Half of it makes the case against King George III, because Americans came to, to view him in great numbers, as did these crafters of the Declaration, as uh, a leader uh, who was unfit to be a ruler of free people because they had come to view him as a tyrant who wanted and intended to usurp the higher law of God and replace it with the law of man. And Americans, uh, being biblically literate, were very conscious of the whole biblical doctrine of submission to authority. And so they were reluctant revolutionaries. And not until, uh, until the great numbers of them came to believe that uh, he was attempting to uh, usurp or take uh, authority over the higher law of God did they move into the ranks of uh, revolutionaries. And uh, they then came to view him and, and Parliament to a lesser degree as tyrants who were, uh, who were seeking to repress these inalienable or God-given rights, and they believed they had a biblical and moral duty to resist that. Now, as far as uh, the leaders and those who are deists, that really is something that has been uh, greatly exaggerated uh, in our day, and it really probably reflects more about uh, where American culture is today than it does the historical evidence of that. Time. Well, to be sure, I mean, the attempt, I think, too, to uh, to take God and faith out of the equation, to kind of neutralize America's stand historically on the position of faith uh, and, and kind of eradicate our faith-based roots. I mean, let's face it, if, if you can eliminate that at the foundation, it's much easier then to move forward in uh, not only creating a religion-neutral America, but in some corners even a religion religious hostile. America. Well, you know, the great unreported story of our day, uh, of the last uh, 50 years, is the shift in the national consensus or the shift in the worldview of America's leadership from a historic, traditional uh, Judeo Christian worldview that holds that God is the authority over all things and God should be the central focus of all things to a man-centered, secular, or humanistic worldview that says that man, not God, is the authority over all things, and that man, not God, should be the center of all focus. Now, that's a seismic shift, and, uh, and you know, why it's, uh, it's having a trickle-down effect in the, in the American population. You can see uh, that the leadership in America, in virtually all fields, has really shifted in that direction, in, in the field of... Uh, uh, business, uh, law, government, uh, entertainment, uh, the popular media, the culture, popular culture, the, the media, the news media, uh, movies, television, um, health care. It's shifted from this God-centered worldview to a man-centered worldview. And then when you have something like that happens, it means that those who are 
responsible for conveying information have uh, are uncomfortable with things of faith, particularly of biblical faith. They are um, uh, they don't understand it in some cases. Uh, they're uncomfortable with it. Sometimes they really resist it or even hostile to it. And so, for those reasons, I think that the uh, the fundamental foundation of America's origins as a nation, which was faith-based, and that faith was the Judeo-Christian worldview, has um, has really uh, almost been uh, it's been neglected. It's uh, and, and it's to a point that most Americans today, or at least many Americans today, don't know the story. Yeah, and sadly enough, and of course the irony is we see the manner in which this is demonstrated, the results of which are demonstrated in society and the world around us every single day. I mean, look at the disintegration of what's going on in our country morally and economically. Uh, There's proof positive, and even more so than what ought to be a firmer drive to return back to the understanding of our faith-based roots, um, the, the, the acceptance of the reality that colonial America was built on a foundation of biblical faith and that any time you waver from it, you are going to be open for some pretty scary times, which we find ourselves in these days. By the hand of Providence, how faith shaped the American Revolution and hopefully will be the guide to the next one. That's my subtitle, my sub-subtitle. Rod Bragg, its author, our guest on this segment of Lifeline. Again, a number of great resources that Rod has penned down through the years for those interested in a real, legitimate view of the faith influence on the founding of our nation. Then, too, again, for parents out there, homeschoolers, if you're looking for great teaching content, then, again, Google his name, Rod Gregg. You can find lots of great resources, too, all of which available on the web and through Amazon.com by the hand of Providence. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.